This podcast was brought to you by Pastor Mike Calstrip and Fellowship Church. For more information, visit thefellowship.church. Bring your Bibles with you this morning. Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Luke, chapter 21. Luke, chapter 21. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Let's pray together, and let's ask the Lord uh, for revelation and utterance in the Holy Ghost. Father, we thank you today for the privilege we have to come together. We're grateful for your mercy and your goodness. We thank you for this privilege that we have, Father, to unite ourselves in this house. We thank you, Father God, that you said in your word that we're to come together. Father, we thank you for the community of faith as believers. But today, Father, as we look into the perfect law of liberty, I thank you for your grace upon our lives, utterance to speak those things, Father, that need to be said, and the revelation knowledge, Father, that dawns within our hearts that helps us understand. And so we just thank you for your goodness, mercy, and grace, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, you know, um, I have uh, a number of different things I want to share with you this morning. And um, I want to uh, talk to you uh, from the office, I guess you would say, or the, uh, from the standpoint of a pastor. Now, you know, uh, the evangelist, he comes in here and, and I mean, he can get pews saved. I mean, you know, it's just amazing what it is, that gifting, that anointing that he has on his life. The prophet may be a little bit different in the sense of being a seer or having revelation with regard to maybe foretelling some things that are, you know, maybe happening uh, in our futures. And then, of course, there's the teacher. Thank God for the teachers. How many of you know we need to be taught the Word of God? The Bible says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching, preaching, and healing. And so, as he would proclaim, he would also explain. That's what a teacher does, is explains the truth. And so, thank God for all of these different offices, and even the apostle. You know, the apostle is one who essentially is... Well, by definition, it means a sent one, you know, where God will send men and women uh, to different places, maybe to establish churches and ministries and things of that nature. And then as a general rule, they have a tendency, once they get everything going, they move on and do it somewhere else. So thank God for all of that. But today you're you're sitting and looking at a pastor. And uh, with everything that's going on in our world today, uh, we need a pastor. Hallelujah. And, you know, I, my prayer uh, has been before Heavenly Father, God, I need to get this right, you know. How many of you know we need to get this right? What do I mean by that? I mean that you need to have a clear understanding of what the will of the Lord is, not conspiracy theories, not I've got this idea, not, you know, somebody said this, and I kind of I like what they're saying and all of that. What did Jesus say? What did the authors of the New Testament say? Because at the end of the day, dear friends, that's all that's going to matter. Are you listening to me? So my prayer has been, God, help me as I communicate these things. Uh, Sometimes we have a lot of preconceived ideas. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And I know, you know, even growing up as a Christian and just getting started in my walk and even, you know, going down the road, you know, you have different, um, 
assumptions about things, and sometimes, you know, you know, it's more a matter of a mistake of the head, not the heart, but you just didn't quite get that right. How many of you know what I'm talking about, you know? And so you, you learn your way uh, as you go, and, uh, and uh, thank God that God's merciful and helpful. Amen. You say, are you just rambling? Well, I'm just kind of waiting here. I'll, I'll get there. Just, you know, I'm, you know it's kind of like landing an airplane, you know. You kind of got to go around a little bit, make sure that the runway's clear, you know, no deer running around, you know, or the lights are on or whatever. And then, you know, when it's safe, then you can land. And um, so I'll do that. Praise God. Let's look at this verse of Scripture together to start with, and then let me share some things with you. Praise God. In uh, Luke 21, let's start with verse 25. Jesus uh, actually was asked of his disciples about, you know, um, when all of these things were going to come to pass. He's making reference to uh, Jerusalem's fall, which in 70 A.D. actually it was, it was, it was uh, leveled to the ground, and, um, and so there was fulfillment of those things. But the disciples were asking, you know, when is all of this, you know, how's this going to happen? When's it going to come to pass? And Jesus just said, take, no, uh, take heed that no man deceive you. And then he went on to begin explaining. And in the explanation, jumping in on verse 25, it says that there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon, and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity or in perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in, the cloud, in a cloud with power and with great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, or stand up, or straighten up, for or because your redemption draws nigh or near. And then he spake a parable unto them and said, Behold the fig tree, and look at all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know that you, uh, of yourselves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise you, when you see these things come to pass or coming to pass, what's the next word? What is it? It says, no. Know ye that the kingdom of God is at hand. So we've been talking about you know, I guess the, pre uh, the message is preparing for his coming, because how many of you know he's coming again? And the thing you need to understand, congregation, is, is that probably for the last, I don't know, maybe nine months or better, this has been a reoccurring thing that has not been academically or mentally kind of prepared for in what it is that I share with you, but it keeps coming up as a... A message or subject about Christ's return. And we know that we stand on this threshold of his coming. So all the more reason for the church to be very, very awake and, and astute as to what it is that's going on within the world in which we live. 
It's kind of like, and again, you know, preparing for your com his coming is like I mentioned to use the analogy that when you know that you have Kess coming, usually people are always, you know, kind of busying themselves to make sure that everything is in its place and that everything's proper and that it's, you know, suited for the guests that are going to be arriving. Would you all agree with that? So in other words, we may go to extra effort in order to make that a reality. In other words, we, we're engaged in this process because company is coming. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever had unexpected guests? Huh? I mean, you know, the house looks like a bomb went off. You're not particularly all dressed up and made up like maybe you would like to, and the doorbell rings. And what kind of happens in that context? Shock and awe. <laughs> oh my God, somebody's here. Well, so when we talk about it, and, and when Jesus was communicating with his disciples, he essentially used the same analogy or principle in telling them what it is that he wanted them to do until he returned. And he said, what's important for you is to watch and to be about it and not be caught without doing what it is that I ask you to do. You understand kind of what I'm saying? And, and um, to be prepared, I guess, to be found doing what it is that he asked us to do, to, to love one another. How many of you know he told us to love one another? He says, there's a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another, to be found in peace, to be spotless, to be blameless, that all of our heart, all our mind, all of our soul belongs to him, that we're serving one another. Isn't that what the Bible says? Doesn't it talk about submitting ourselves one to another, one to another out of reverence for Christ? Doesn't it talk about us forbearing one another in love? All of these things he has basically mandated or commissioned that we as believers make sure that we are doing. And so in the context of that, you know, uh, well, really, as a matter of fact, the theme and the warning of preparedness you will find throughout the Gospels and all of the letters or the epistles that were written of the major writers in the New Testament. In other words, Everyone is telling you and I about the necessity of being faithful to him. Did you hear me? To be faithful, that I am doing what he wants me to do, that I am pursuing, you know, the will of God as, it, as he sees fit and, and not allowing myself to be taken down a path of, you know, self-interest or selfishness or bitterness or unforgiveness or something that somehow or another takes me out and disqualifies me from what it is that he's asked me to do. Am I on the right page? So it's important for us to think about these things. So when Jesus made reference to our being prepared, he, he was talking about the condition or the, or the place of our hearts. Because he said that wherever you're treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's not about all the accolades. It's not about all the facade. It's not about, you know, what people are this or that or the whatever. It's what's going on in the secret place of people's hearts that Jesus is interested in. 
He doesn't care about, you know, your assets, your 401, and what it is you've amassed, or any of those things. As a matter of fact, all of that means nothing to him. But what does matter is that your heart is completely his, and you are endeavoring to follow the path that he has for your life. And so that's why I say, you know, in talking about preparing for his coming, you know, and uh, um, <clears throat> that's what I'm making reference to. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Now, Matthew 24 is basically Matthew's narrative of what it is that uh, Luke in chapter 21 that we just got done reading. In other words, Luke and Matthew both recorded the things that Jesus said about his return. And when we get to uh, Matthew chapter 24, um, and I'm, I'm trying to decide just how much of this to go. Let's just do this for the sake of, if we have to go back or backpedal, we will. But uh, look in chapter 24 of Matthew and verse 42. What's the first word? What is it? Say it one more time. Everybody say it. Watch, therefore. Now, again, if we had time and you can of your own uh, um, devotion, uh, go back and look at the entire chapter. But listen to me. I, if there's anything that I can impress upon you right now, it is essentially the seriousness of, the, of this word that he's making to us right now. He said, watch, therefore. Because what you and I are dealing with and facing in the world in which we live is not a game. This thing is real. And, the, 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 and I understand that my sharing this with you seems weighty, but it is. There are people's lives, eternal lives, that, that are at stake in what it is that we're talking about. And so when Jesus makes this statement to us, there's, there is with some emphasis a, a, um, a real admonition or warning or whatever it is for you to get this. So he said, watch therefore, for you know not what uh, hour your Lord does come. Now notice, what's the next three words in verse 43? But, underline them, but know this. So he said, watch, and then he said, but know this, that if the goodman or the master of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, now notice, underlying these words, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. You know, the reason that a thief comes to somebody's house is because you have something of value that they want, but they don't want to pay for it. They want to steal it. And so the, the analogy or the example or illustration that Jesus gives us here is about a thief coming in the night, stealing your stuff. And he just simply said that if the goodman of the house or the master of that house would have known when the thief was coming, he'd have been prepared or he would have been ready for him. And God wants you and I, children of God, to be ready for his coming. He doesn't want us to be asleep. And I'll give definition to what being asleep is here in a moment. He wants us to be fully awake as to what it is that, that <clears throat> is going on within the world in which you and I live. 
So let's go on reading here in verse 34, or I'm sorry, verse 44. Therefore, so again, now he's, he's saying, you know, using the uh, illustration that he, he just got done talking about, therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man is coming. And then, and then he kind of, if you read it in Luke's uh, uh, testimony or narrative, Right here, Jesus, or, uh, Peter um, kind of interrupted him. He said, you know, who are you talking about? Are you talking about us or are you talking about all men? And so instead of really answering the question, Jesus just went on to further exp uh, explain as we look here in verse 44. Again, he said, or uh, 45. He then said, who then is a, what's that word? And what? Underline those words. Who is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household? Did you know that God has made you a ruler over your own household? He's given you a stewardship with regard to your life. And he's saying, okay, here it is. I'm entrusting you with, your, with this, and, and this is what I want you to do with it. I want you to take care of it. I want you to live right, do right, follow me, obey, you know, all of those different kinds of things. And, and so anyway, he says here, uh, um, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all of his goods. But an if that evil servant shall say in his heart, well, looks like he's not coming. My Lord delays his coming. And then he begins to smite his fellow servants to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day and an hour when he looks not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. We don't always like to talk about strong stuff, but that's pretty strong. And so he's just, you know, I, I, I think the weight and the gravity of this uh, again, you know, I, I wish I could, I could stand up here this morning and give you some kind of cheery thing, but really what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to prepare you, okay? I mean, and, uh, and to the best of my ability. As a matter of fact, in, in, my, in my meditations, in my preparations, in my thinking about this, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, this stuff is coming up on the inside of me, I'm saying, and on the, somewhere else, I'm saying, uh, God, uh, don't you have somebody else you could let be the delivery boy? I mean, I like, you know, preaching something cheery. But, you know, that's why I said the pastor's got to tell the truth. <laughs> Are you listening to me? The Bible says in Luke 21, 34, Jesus said, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with 
well, the King James uses the word surfeiting or um, carousing. Surfeiting is basically overindulgence of any kind, just, you know, throwing caution to the wind, doing whatever. But he says, take heed lest your hearts be weighted down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the whole face of the earth. So it's coming. But you know, here's the thing that if you and I are watching, if you and I are prepared, if we're doing what it is that he asks, it won't be a surprise. Actually, it'll be a rejoicing celebration, the likes of which you have never, ever known. Hallelujah. But what's important is, is that those that name the name of Jesus as you do, are about the Father's business where your life and my life is concerned. Would you agree with that? So going on and moving along in this, again, being prepared means that our hearts may be found in a place of humility and surrender before our Heavenly Father, both doing and living the way that He would have us to live. So here's, a, here's, another, here's another thought. I'm going to switch. I'm done with that. Now I want to switch and make this statement. As a pastor, if I can point you in a direction that's going to help you achieve contentment, fulfillment, and meaning in your life, it's going to be in your personal pursuit, hallelujah, of the will of God and His kingdom coming. In other words, if I want to help you, if I want to bless you, so that your life has the kind of meaning and fulfillment and, and, and contentment that God wants it to have, then the, the best advice I can give you is to tell you to run towards His will for your life and the pursuit of the kingdom of God. Am I, am I advancing the kingdom in my personal life? Or, if, or am I just kind of going through the motions? I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm even filled with the Holy Ghost speaking tongues once in a while. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your heart and mine being fully engaged in what it is that Jesus is doing in these last days. This past week, I'm just minding my own business. I'm doing whatever it is that I do, you know. And I, and I am running into people all over the place, whose lives are absolutely jacked and broken. I sit in, a, I sit in my vehicle with this guy. He's, got, he, he's bound by alcohol. He's got all kinds of problems. He's got no place to live. There's all these things that are going on in his life. The next thing I know, you know, I'm talking to two different you know, individuals whose, whose marriages are a wreck, you know, and then uh, the next thing I know, I'm sitting in, a, in, in my pickup again with this woman that I just barely met, and she's telling me all of her problems about, you know, how scared she is and concerns about her daughter and all of this. And she's a, she's a Christian, but she's nominal. You know what I mean by that? I mean, just kind of, you know, going through the, you know, uh, you know I mean... Uh, you know, I've said my prayers, you know. I mean, she's looking for help. But So I said, well, look at this verse of Scripture. Let's, let's look at this verse. I want to give you, because she wanted a Bible verse. I said, I'll give you one. And, you know, because uh, that's what I do. Bill, in case you need a Bible verse, I'll give you one. You know, anyway. And so I said, 
and she had her Bible, her mother's Bible, that uh, her mother had passed away, but she, you know, this Bible was dear to her and things. And I said, so let's open that Bible and let's look at Psalm 91. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to see in, in this engagement or this encounter that I had with this gal. So, so, so I, I said, now, now look right here. L listen to what it's saying. Now, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, but in verse 1 it says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust in Him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers, and it goes on and says a bunch of other things that God's going to do. So when I'm talking to this gal, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give her something that will give her peace. And, I, and when I said this, you know, and I said, look at this, it says... This is what you need to say about the Lord in your life. That he alone is your refuge and your place of safety. And he is your God. Huh? And you trust in him. She said, well, yeah, I know that. But you just don't understand. I mean, what I said went right past her. And I said, no, 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 no. Go back and listen to what it says. Well, I, I'd like to say that, you know, all the lights came on in the truck and, you know, the horn started flashing or honking or whatever. It didn't. But what I told her is, is I said, you need to go home and you need to take these, this, this chapter. You need to meditate and you need to think about it. Because, see, people don't, they don't take the word literally. Like, you know, a lot of people will contend, well, you just can't take the Bible literally. Why not? When, when Jesus said, you better to watch, you also better be ready. You better, you know, this. And, and you are to say of the Lord, he's your refuge, he's going to take care of you, and so on and so forth. Thank God for the, I don't know if this is the right word, you grammar people. Literacy, is that a right word? Huh? It's, it's a word anyway, isn't it, Jim? Don't be laughing at me, man. You wouldn't be doing any better. Anyway, the literalness of the Scriptures. You know, but, 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 but people don't do that. And you get in trouble. So, listen to what it is that he's saying. Hallelujah. Jesus said this, well, actually, uh, Paul said this. He said, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Another thing you know that Jesus said, he said, my kingdom isn't of this world. You know, God, you need to fix this. I mean, the government's just, you know, gone south, sideways. I mean, it's a mess, God. You need to fix this, God. And Jesus would say to you, my kingdom isn't of this world. None of this matters. Well, it matters to you, 
because it impacts your life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, most definitely. But there is a way that Jesus told us to navigate through the things that we find ourselves having to face. You know, you think about this, you know, in every culture, you know, or, or generation, there's things that people are dealing with, you know, that, that, that are, are crazy. You know, even during his earthly ministry, he's born into a, a political environment of the Roman Empire. And you talk about dominating, you talk about uh, uh, a mess, it was a mess. But it never impacted Jesus' ministry. He still got done what he was supposed to do, right? So I believe, praise God, he's going to help you and I to get done what we need to do. And then he's going to come again. So, you know, uh, so a little bit of what I'm talking to you about here has nothing to do with your convenience and your comfort. Aren't you glad? Huh? (laughs) Thanks for your enthusiasm. I got some out of my wife there, but that's about as far as that went. And you know why I say that? It's because a lot of folk, when they come to church, dude, they want to know about convenience and comfort. It's called uh, uh, consumer Christianity. As long as I like it, as long as it fits my deal, as long as you're telling me, man, everything's going to be okay. Well, everything's going to be okay, but perhaps not in the context that you think. And that's why I said you got to get this right. Are you with me? It is not about you. Okay? It's about him. I know you're really glad I injected that into what I'm sharing with you. But it does have everything to do with each one of us asking, am I obeying? Am I doing what it is that God asked me to do? Now, if you're doing that, dude, you're in a good place. But if you're not, then there needs to be some changing going on. Huh? Here's an example, and I mentioned this. You know, when Jesus, when they falsely accused him, and they said that he's blasphemed and all of this and that and the other, and they decided they were going to crucify him, they threw him to the wolves and sent him in, you know, to the government, essentially, And he ended up in Pilate's, uh, 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 what do you call it, palace. And so they drug him in there and humiliated him. And and Pilate just said, well, so are you a king? And he says, well, you say I am, you know. And uh, so here's a guy that can either cut him loose or sentence him to crucifixion. But you know what? Jesus was little moved by this individual that stood before him. And it is in that context that Jesus said, my kingdom isn't of this world. When he was in the garden at Gethsemane, you know, and Peter said, we're gonna take up for you, man, and, you know, drew the sword, cut the guy's ear off and all of that, and Jesus said, put the thing away. And healed the guy, put his ear back on his head. Now that's, you know, if I was a Roman soldier and I seen all that go down, that would give me pause. Huh? And in the context of that, he said, don't you know that I have at my disposal legions of angels that could come to my aid right now? 
Don't ever get the idea that you're not on the winning side and that there isn't power and authority that stands behind you as a believer and a child of God. There is. But he has required of us to behave and act a little bit differently than the world that is around us. But he just said, my kingdom isn't a... Jesus isn't coming down here to set up some earthly kingdom. He's coming for his bride to set up a heavenly kingdom, an eternal kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Now, so that's the end of that thought. Now I'm going to change to another one. See, you're getting like five sermons in one setting. You should be pretty stoked about this. Okay, sermon number three. And what I want to do is I want, I, if, if I could uh, put you in a place, let's put it that way, for you to be able to have a perspective um, it would be from, you know, looking at everything that's going on around us from like 30 to 45,000 feet above all of it. Now, if you've ever been in an aircraft or you've flown commercially, you look out and everything gets pretty small, doesn't it? Huh? You know, and, and, and the thing is, but, but the truth of the matter is, is if you get um, 1,250 foot up off the ground, if you're a quarter mile up off the ground, you can see so much more than what it is that you can see when you're stuck on the ground. So if, if I can put you in that place as I talk about some of the things that I'm going to share with here, it, perhaps it can help you because I think it's important that we do that. You know, and, and um, well, I'll just share. You know, the things that happened in our nation this past week are... It is a sad commentary with regard to the condition of men's hearts. Did you hear me? And um, not only that, but I mean, even the nation as a whole. Most of us are reeling and asking ourselves, how in the world could we get to where we are as quickly as we have? And I will say to you simply, it's because of sin. The sin in men's and women's hearts has driven everything to where we find it. Now, none of us, I don't think any of us, I mean, if you ask anybody and they're honest, none of us could have imagined the deterioration of our values, our freedoms, civility, and I mean just common sense how it could deteriorate the way it has. But here's what I want you to understand. All of that that I just got done describing has collapsed under the weight of sin. That's it. It's because of the sin. And what is sin? Sin is disobedience to God. It's the sin that is in the hearts of people. Now, <clears throat> there's two things I want you to consider as I'm sharing this. Remember, we're up here. We're kind of looking at this whole thing. Help me out, Pastor. That's what I'm trying to do. The problems that we currently are experiencing have been developing over decades. This just didn't happen, you know, in 2019. This thing started long ago. You know, you say, well, how long ago? I don't know, you know, sin, sin. 
But I can, I can start you someplace. 1962, they took prayer out of the schools. Okay? Prayer was foundational within the schools. Now they don't want you to pledge the allegiance to the United States. I mean, we've, we've went down the road a long ways, haven't we? Well, you say, why is that? It's because of godless people, sinful people. You know, um, the indoctrination of our kids through liberal leadership within the universities. I, I think long and hard before I ever sent my kid to a university right now. Because I've watched them. I watched my daughter graduate from school. Her classmates went to the university. She went and did some other, you know, vocational kinds of uh, training and things of that nature. They come back a different person in one year. There's a book for those of you that have uh, kids that are going to be graduating called Fish Out of Water by a gal by the name of Abby, I think, Nye. N-Y-E, I think is her name. And she talks about she, her, her parents were journalists, and so when she went to school as a freshman, uh, they told her that she should document or journal everything that, that happened with, uh, to her and stuff, you know, being marginalized and, and the indoctrination. And she talked about the fact, you know, when you parents go with your, your kids to the, to the uh, university, they have parents' day or whatever. They'll tell you all kinds of great things and make it all nice and fluff and all this and that and the other. But when your kids come back by themselves and they set them down, buddy, the indoctrination begins. Now, I could probably catch a lot of flack from all this, but it's truth. Okay, that's all. I'm not, I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm not trying to speak disparagingly or whatever. But, you know, we need to face reality. Immorality has become more and more hideous and accepted until deviant behavior is now celebrated and applauded. You've got fornication, adultery, homosexuality, child pornography, all of these things that are running rampant through the country. I'm talking about the reason why we're where we're at is because of sin. You know, when my wife and I, when we were growing up, you know, all of a sudden, here come the magic pill of birth control. Well, what did that do? It just gave everybody more of a license to live immorally. HIV. I remember when HIV first got started, you know, came out of the homosexual community. And people didn't know what it was. It's like what you got going on right now. You know, when this stuff, when it comes to me, it's like, wow, what is this? Well, the more they got to knowing about it and different things like that, and they came up with this and that and the other. You know, HIV is because of sin. You know, and then there's all kinds of sexually translated, you know, uh, transmitted diseases that, that, that people are, you know, you could, you, you could protect yourself pretty easy. Stay out of bed. Huh? But we, don't, we can't preach that. We can't talk about that. Because by golly, you're, you're infringing on my rights. The legitimizing and legalizing 
of the murdering of the unborn. Used to be, well, if we can do it early, it's okay. Now, they can be born and they can take their lives. And I got to ask every doctor that may ever watch this, what kind of a conscience that you have that you could do or perform such a thing and think that it's okay? Because I got to tell you, it is not okay. People are going to stand in, before God. But we want our rights. You know, they talk about a women, women's rights. You do have rights, but my God, girl, figure out that you cannot take the life of someone else and think that it's okay. Or that maybe you don't want to, but you're being pressured by somebody else to do it. The cancel culture. That's a new one. If you say anything to challenge or disagree with their ideology, then they'll do, they will destroy you if they can. We watched it with our current president for over four years, relentlessly, 24-7. Now, I'm telling you, the guy isn't perfect, but I'm telling you what happened to him is not right. And his family. He didn't need it. He did it because he wanted to help the country. Well, that's a whole other story. I'm just telling you that the moral compass and the fabric of this country and our nation has been broken. And that's why we're where we're at. You say, what's the answer? Repentance. That's it. That's all there is. About a year and a half into President uh, Trump's uh, administration, he brought in a bunch of evangelicals from all over the country. And, you know, the, the, the kind of the place that he was coming from is, is I'm doing what I do, and the left's doing what they do, and, and you're somewhere in the middle. So I'm just telling you that you better do whatever it is that you do. And I think, of course, obviously, he was looking for them to support you know, what it is that he was doing. He says, because if they get through me, they're coming after you. And we already know that. The vice president-elect has already made it clear that she is going to wage war on the church. So this is the place that we find ourselves in. You say, well, I didn't expect this when I came to church. Probably not. But I tell you what, if there's anything that I want to do, it is to make you prepared to help you to become established and steadfast and settled and not moved. Okay? There'll be a target on the churches of this country that are giving life to people and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So... I guess that's why Jesus said, you're the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth. Because you are. Amen. Amen. And it may not be a popular place to be, but I tell you what, it's a righteous and a godly place to be. Are you listening to me?
And praise God, we're going to stand. I said we're going to stand. We're going to stand for what's right. We're not going to cut and run, you guys. Don't you dare cut and run. It might get hot in the kitchen, but God has a big, big air conditioner. Hallelujah. And he'll take care of us. Let me ask you this. Are, 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 I, I, I'm thinking about this. Are you part of the progressive movement? It's a question. There are a lot of people that are. I got a, I got a, a Christmas card from a relative that says we're part of the resistance. It's grievous, sad. But that's the world we live in. Are you part of the progressive movement? Do you, do you consider yourself progressive? Well, I have news for you. It's not progressive. It's digressive. And it is going to destroy people's lives. Now, again, I'm sure that's not going to be popular either. But we need to face reality. They always put words to what it is that they're doing that is positive. But it's not positive. Are you with me? There's a lot I could say about that right now, but we best better move on. You know, you, I guess um, you have to understand that hell needs participants. You know, just like Jesus said, he said, you're the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He says, as, as, um, as I have been sent, so send I you. So, in other words, God needs you as his mouthpiece in this earth to speak of the things that are true and right and of God. Well, hell needs them too. The devil can't, you know, just arbitrarily do whatever he wants. He's got to have a vessel through which to carry out his will. And he's got them certifiably. And the thing you need to understand that, that uh, you know, we're, again, we're looking at this from up above, but the things that are going on in this nation and our nation right now, you guys, they're spiritual. They're spiritually driven. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up because hell is being unleashed. Now, always remember, Jesus said, <laughs> the gates of hell you know, will not prevail against the church. But I do think that it's important for, you know, there's a scripture. How are we doing? Turn to Isaiah chapter 4. Well, go to 14 and we'll see how that works out. Y'all glad you came today? I'm not putting, I'm not sharing these things with you to put you in fear at all. But I think that honest clear conversation needs to be had. And that's why I say, you know, I, I wish somebody else could be the delivery boy on this, but uh, I'm it. So I'm going to share with it. Notice what it says here. Uh, chapter, did I say 13 or 14? 14. Back up to... Uh, 
I don't know where to jump in on all this. Um, well, let's start. Go back to 13, verse 6. Notice what it says. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Now, understand that the destruction is not something he authored, but because of sin, judgment's coming. Okay? So get it in its proper context. Verse 7, Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid, pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them, and they shall be in pain as a woman that travails. And they shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. This is an interesting thing that we really don't have time to get into. Verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall, now listen, he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Now, you know there's a difference between the sinner and the righteous. Huh? But I'm telling you, God is going to clean house. Notice what it goes on to say. Verse 10, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in, in his going forth. The moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. And I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man of the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth shall, be, uh, shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Wow. Now notice, let's go over in chapter 14. Y'all doing all right? Keep breathing. Hallelujah. Um, verse 9. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirs up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Your pomp is brought down to the grave and the noise of the or, uh, and the noise of the voles the worms is spread under thee and the worms cover thee how art thou fallen from heaven o lucifer son of the morning thou art uh, or now how thou art cut down to the ground now listen to this which didst weaken the nations how does a nation become weak? It does so because of sin, right? There are scriptures, and you're, you're familiar with them. Excuse me just a moment. 
Did anybody see, no, that's not it. Did anybody see me with a sticky pad or a sticky note? I guess I'll just have to quote them. The Bible says, <laughs> Psalm 33, verse 1, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Do you have that, uh, Julia? Can you throw that up there for me? Psalm 33, 1? Or maybe it's 33, 8. You're working on it. Okay. All right. Another verse of Scripture that says, this is in Proverbs, I think, 14 someplace. It says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You with me? And then finally, it says that when the righteous are in authority, this I think is Proverbs 29 two. it says that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, you know? But when they're not, then it becomes a challenge. I don't know what it says. I, I don't know exactly what it says. I had it written down on a, there it is. Looky there. Seek and you shall find. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. Sad day in our country that happened last week. Are you with me? And people, you know, well, I don't even need to get in all of this about how the thing was projected as to who was the culprits, you know, and all of that business. Um, I'm going to tell you who the culprits were. They were wicked people. So, um, um, notice I, I, the main point to my making that reference is, is that, you know, in the aftermath, when we see this whole thing played out the way it is, and we're going to look at the devil and we're going to say, is he the one that caused all these problems, this weak defeated, I mean, and, and notice it says, who weakens the nations. And that's what you see happening right now. You know, all of this shaking going on, all these nations, you know, are being disrupted, governments, you know, stability, all of these things. It's just all, and I'll tell you a reason why, it's because of sin. Okay, I hate to keep coming back to that, but that's the answer. Our nation was forged within the furnace of God-fearing men and women. And they gave their lives so that we could have a place of righteousness and, 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 and justness and truth. And because of that, God blessed this nation. Are you with me? And as long as people remained righteous and following Him and serving Him and obeying Him, this nation served to bless the world. And still, to some extent, is. But we do find ourselves in a different place. Now, I'm going to make some statements here, and, you know, I'm sure that, you know, not everybody's going to agree with them, but that's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. But I don't believe that the coming of this virus in March was a coincidence. I believe that it is by or was evil design. I don't believe 
that the civil unrest regarding race and law enforcement in June was just a coincidence. But I do believe that it is being uh, fueled by an evil design. Actually, it started in May. I don't believe that the political unrest of this past week was just coincidence. I believe it was orchestrated by evil design. I don't believe that the lockdowns that are being imposed upon people for this country and, and, and is literally destroying the economy of this country is necessarily, and I say this, you know, I put this in here, necessarily an attempt to control the virus, I believe that is being imposed upon people to control them by evil design. You say, well, how can you say that? Because 99.5% of the people that contract the disease get well. Unless you're 70 years of age or older and uh, you have some other comorbidity issue that you're dealing with. 99.5. And we have made, you know, it's been made into something hideous. Are you with me? Now, you know, back in uh, 1929 is when the crash of the stock market took place and everybody lost everything. And it was a terrible time in our, our country. And uh, at the height of that, now this would be probably uh, in, in 33. So now we're, we're, they're, they're digging themselves out of this deal for nearly four years. They're at the height of it. And uh, uh, Franklin uh, D. Roosevelt became the president. He beat, I think, Hoover. I don't remember who it is, you know, but anyway, it doesn't matter. And so he got up with his inaugural address to talk to the people. And basically, you know, the, the thing that came from that that has been a, a very powerful, powerful statement that many of you have heard many times, but he just said, you, we don't have anything to fear but fear itself. And that is certainly true in the case of the church, the body of Christ. You don't have anything to fear except fear itself. So you need to set your mind at ease. You say, Pastor, but what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. God is going to take care of you. I don't know how, but I'm telling you that he is a father and that he will take a father's place and he will provide for you what it is that you need. And if somebody decides to take your life, they just did you a favor. You know, since all this stuff kind of come, you know, started unraveling things from day one, I have chosen to believe and I will continue to believe that our response is to lean into the crisis and also to run toward the storm instead of running from it. Are you with me? Now, we've had to do our thing, you know, and whatever the case might be, but I'm telling you, at the end of the day, Jesus commissioned the church to go out and to reach the world that is around us. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So... <clears throat> Um, 
turn to Numbers, I, it, this may take a little bit longer than normal, but that's okay. Because yeah. it's not near close to lunch, so you'll be okay. You'll make it. Yeah. And besides that, Glenn said he had about four pots of coffee. If you need a little pick-me-up, go <laughs> sit by him. But I, I, I want to, I'm just going to, I want to unpack the whole thing so that we get it all. So in Numbers chapter uh, 14, did I say? I didn't say. Numbers chapter 14. Many of you are familiar with the story because this is where the nation of Israel was. They sent 12 spies out and they came back. The Bible says two with a good report and 10 with an evil report. And they said, we can't take the land. You know, they're bigger and meaner and uglier than we are. Okay? Verse Chapter 14, verse 1. And so when they heard all of this, all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. <laughs> Leaders always, <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. And the whole congregation said, We would to God that we would have died in the land of Egypt, or would to God that we had died in this wilderness. And wherefore has the Lord... So, he's, you know, the people are blaming God, blaming the later leadership, blaming everybody. Listen, don't blame anybody for this mess. If you want to blame somebody, blame the devil. And it goes on to say, you know, uh, verse 4, And they said to one another, Let's make a captain and let's go back to where we, were, where we came from. Listen, you don't want to go back where you come from. Huh? Now listen, and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake to all the company of the children of Israel, and they said, Listen, the land that we pass through to search is an exceeding good land. Notice what he goes on to say. And if the Lord delight in us, then he is going to bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. But don't rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of this land, for they are bread for us. And their defenses have departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Everybody say, the Lord is with me. Hallelujah. Fear them not. My point to sharing this verse of Scripture with you is, is because I mentioned to you before, as far as I'm concerned, we're going to continue to lean into what it is that God's called us to do as a church. And I'm going to do it as a pastor. Are you with me? And God wants you to do it as his child, the same. God has a place he wants to take us. God has a place he wants to take you. Don't ever lose sight of it. There may be giants in the land. There may be walled cities. There may be all whatever, whatever, but praise God, I'm telling you, he wants to take you to the other side. Have the same spirit that Caleb and Joshua had and not like the rest of them that want to cut and run and go, you know, run for the hills. Are you with me? Because I'm telling you what, I mean, it's in the middle of that when you're standing there facing the, you know, the, the fiery furnace that God shows up and does miraculous things in your midst, hallelujah, to put you over. Glory to God. I'm telling you what, if he's done it once, he's done it more than a million times, and he will do it again. 
So here's, here's my promise to you as we close. Doot, doot. It's my first deal. As your pastor, I am going to do my best. I'm going to do my best to provide you with what you need to be settled, to be established, and victorious through your relationship that you have with Jesus. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give you what, all I got in the way of truth so that you can enjoy the blessing of God. We're, doing, we're going to start classes again, pre-service classes on Sunday. Well, the reason is, is because you can't get what you need in a setting for 45, well, maybe an hour, maybe a little more than an hour, <laughs> but you can't get it. So we want to teach you the Word of God. You need to be taught. Some of this stuff is more caught than taught, but you've got to be in the environment for it to happen. We have, we're going to have small groups again. And these, these groups, you know, they're designed, obviously, for relational purposes, but they also are, the intent is for you to grow. Are you with me? And then, of course, we're going to continue to have services and meetings and things of that nature, you know, where we can pour into your lives and help you, you know, and bless you, praise God, and watch God move. You know, I just, I believe that God wants us to be a people of character. Three people said yes. He wants us to be people of character that God has called us to be. People of integrity. People of our word. I can't believe some of the people. And they're Christians, dude, and they don't keep their word. They don't keep their word. They cut and they run. Because why? Well, the grass has gotten a lot greener over there. Only to find out that the stinking thing is astroturf. People of our word, people of excellence in our conduct, people of boldness and confidence, and people who stay the course. Hallelujah. People, you guys listen to me, people are making choices every day. They're making choices every day. And the outcome of those choices, both temporally and eternally, carry with them, you know, a consequence. Are you with me? And so we need to make sure we're making the right choices, that we're making the right changes. Don't be the person, you know, that says, yeah, 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 I, 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 I know, I, I knew I needed to uh, change that or I needed to do that, but I just never got around to it. Don't do that, you guys. I'm telling you what, praise God, make haste. If you need to make some changes in something, it's not going to go away by itself. Am I in the right place? Our spiritual leader years ago made this statement, and it sure uh, rings true today. Neglected opportunities bring regret. I'm telling you what, you got opportunities right here, right now, you guys. Come on now. Let's do it. It's going to require some personal discipline you know, on our lives. But you know what? You can do that. Oh, I just can't do that. Yes, you can. Huh? Well, I just don't feel like it. I don't care how you feel anymore. Okay? 
If I'm going to help you, I got to tell you the truth. You know, when I was, I don't need to get into all this, but man, when I was growing up playing in athletics, you know, the coach would, he, he wasn't out there petting me. Going, well, you poor old thing, man, you're breathing kind of hard. Don't you want to go sit on the bench there a little bit, you know, and catch your breath, maybe get some water, you know, and no, dude. I got a boot where everybody knows where it goes to get to going and keep on moving. Don't have a pity party. You're not a victim. You're a victor. Come on. And if you know you've been sitting around, moping around and all of that, it's time for all that to go out the window. And start thinking for yourself about your life and what you want to accomplish what you want to do with your kids, what you want to do with, you know, whatever, and move down the road. Yeah, there's going to be challenges. There's no question about that. But praise God, he's on our side. Huh? Remember, he said, when you see all of these things starting to come to pass, lift up your head. Straighten up. Your redemption's coming. Praise God. That's where our victory is. And that's what we're going to embrace and that's what we're going to look forward to. I tell you what, you, the, your future with God has absolute certainty. Your future with the world, not so much. Praise God. Well, that's all I got to say. How to do, honey? Did I tell him everything you wanted me to tell him? Okay. She thinks maybe we did. Well, you know what? Here's the thing, you guys. I'm telling you this because I love you. And, and, and I just want to help people understand. And again, like I said, some of the stuff maybe I said, you know, people may vehemently disagree with, and, and that's okay. But this is the way I see it. From my perspective, or no, that's not the right word. From, from my place of responsibility, I, this is what I'm sharing with you. And so I trust that in the days and weeks and months ahead that you will encourage one another you know, and, and say, listen, it, it's going to be all right because we're going we're gonna to embrace what it is God said and he's going to do some things, praise God, that we couldn't imagine that he would, he would do. So let's stand. I've talked plenty long. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. As we pray today with, with some real intention, intentionality, um, I want you to um, I just want you to present your heart to God. Let him know you're not perfect. He already knows that, but he'd like to hear you. And I want you to say, God, we need your help. I need your help. Help me to see what I need to change. Help me to see what I need to do different. You know, and, and, and the thing about it is, you guys, is if you will unpeel your heart like that before him, he'll show up and he'll start showing you stuff. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And God, I thank you for the promise and the hope that we have in you. And Lord, I know that you will take care of your own, even in these perilous and troublous times. But God, I pray for all of those that are here within the sound of my voice, also those, Father, that may be watching by internet. And God, we commit ourselves to you, to be followers of you, 
to be doers of your word, to not be sucked into the things of this world, nor to be sucked into the doctrines of devils. But Father, help us to believe in the one who has purchased us with his own blood. I thank you, Lord God, for your grace in every one of our lives. And Father, as we move forward into our future, I want to thank you, Father, for your strength and your wisdom and your counsel in every heart and in every mind. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I, like I always say, I'm not fishing for anything, but you may be at a place in your heart where you really know that you need to make things right with him, and I want to give you that opportunity. So if there's no one in that situation here today, that's fine and dandy, but again, while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, if, if you're there and you say, God, I got to get this right, I want to do it right now, I don't want to put it off. Can I see your hand anywhere? All right, thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Yes, thank you. Bless you. Anybody else? We're going to pray a simple prayer, and I just want you to let your heart agree with it as you pray. Say this with me, dear Heavenly Father. I ask you to forgive me, and I ask you to help me. Bring me to the place that you have ordained me to be, and I thank you for helping me. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right, you may be seated.